All right, everybody. Time for a holiday, 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 holiday message. I'm not. I, at first, I was thinking I should do something about religious uh, things, right? Talking about how everybody, including atheists and pagans and and religious people, everybody gets everything wrong, right? And I was going to start talking about. Uh, you know, yarmulkes and how they aren't actually in any sort of Jewish text in the, in the uh, literal sense. They actually appeared in the uh, text that uh, basically followed uh, if, if he existed, and I tend to believe that he, uh, he did, but not in a magic way, Jesus or Yeshua, right? Maybe not so much on the A-Yeshua, right? I tend to believe that this man existed. I, I like to think that there was a Jewish, a Jewish doctor rabbi who whipped bankers. That's my version of, of, of Jesus, right? A Jewish doctor rabbi who whipped bankers and built houses for people who needed them, right? <laughs> so, uh... That's my idea, right? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it didn't exist. Well, the idea, you know, and, and part of the problem is that, you know, religions were the historical sciences of the time, so they're the ones who collected all the information. Now we view religion as, well, it's a religious document, so we shouldn't believe it. Except there's no such thing as, as a scientific document from back then. There's no scientific journal from that era, right? They didn't really exist. And you had people writing like science scientific theses, but they, they weren't what we would now call a journal or a standard encyclopedia. You know, stuff like that. And uh, so it was the Catholic Church that began the tradition, the Amica, and then somehow it became Jewish which is really kind of crazy. And I was going to go into that. And I was also going to go into the, the, the constant comments on how paganism, uh, Sol Invictus is pagan. Right? Well, well, pagan's actually a friggin' slur. It wasn't pagan. It was, uh, I mean, it was Roman. Right? When it, you know, if pagan is like uh, is a slur usually used to group together anything that's not Christian or anything that's not Jewish or anything that's not um, you know Muslim and so that's that's also false right so if, if you're Roman and you believed in Saturn and Jupiter you would also say, ah, everything else is pagan. This is the true religion. Right? And yet, even that's predated. Everything is predated by everything else. And you also get into these religious observances that are flip-flopped. Compared to what one person teaches and what another person teaches. So, in the end, what you really have... Um, oh, and, and Hanukkah, the, the menorah, right? Menorah. Um, 
Celebration of a battle. Not a religious celebration. Celebration of a battlefield uh, victory is what it's a celebration of. And it's found in the Catholic Bible. <laughs> the Catholic one, specifically. So, uh, what you get down to it, though, is that people will celebrate things because of what they personally believe and what morally guides them. Right? Do you celebrate everything? If you're religious, do you celebrate everything in your Bible? Probably not. I, I, know, I know Jews that love sh shellfish. Listen, shellfish and pork. Listen, that was back in an era where, you know, uh, seafood would be, you know, shellfish would, would kind of rot. And also there are a bunch of Jews out there that don't adhere to that shellfish thing because they live on the coastal areas. And, you know, with pork, you know, you get the trichinitis or whatever it is with the worms. And, uh, but now we cook our meat all the way through thoroughly. We make sure that there's USDA. Of course, and there are other Jews that say, no, it's an edict from God for spiritual reasons. To keep your temple and body. Your, your body's a temple to keep it clean and to keep it pure, right? And, and that's fine. I'm not, I'm not going to say one is wrong over the other. Because it's what guides you morally, spiritually, um, intellectually. And that's really what the season's all about, right? Moral, personal moral guidance. And, uh, you know, that's also why I kind of consider the whole Festivus thing to be insulting to a lot of cultures. Um, even though, you know, Jerry Stiller, you know, the Jewish, Jewish man that he is, loved doing... George Costanza's, Costanza's dad and loved creating that Festivus thing. You know, he thought it was great. Um, and yeah, I get it, you know, because it's comedy, right? It's satire. It's supposed to be comedy and satire. But then I actually see some people who use it in their own lives. Um, a lot of these people, you know, I mean, it's, and it's split. People who use it, who are serious about it fall into one of two categories. One is they absolutely hate religion of all kinds and they use it to attack, publicly attack anybody who's religious. And the other is people who have been harmed by religion or the concept of religion or family and they use Festivus as a way to re re reinvent themselves, right? Right along with the birth of the, of the sun, you know, uh, the end of Rag Ragnarok, right? The uh, the beginning of the new of the new uh, period of the year, where the sun starts gaining more and more power. You know, it's at its lowest, but now it starts coming back. And that's also intrinsic to the story of Scrooge. You know, you got Scrooge. And Scrooge, in so many ways, is as Christian as it's not Christian. In so many different ways. And so, it's, there are things that a lot of people miss. Now, the first thing is, it's, Scrooge is based, Ebenezer Scrooge is based off of a real life man. Only contrary to his literary counterpart, 
the real life man was the kindest, sweetest soul in existence. Although he had a mental disorder regarding money. And there is, you know, there is an actual disorder about that, right? Uh, where people can't keep wealth. They, they literally find it dirty for some reason. They, they spiritually, emotionally can't keep money in their pocket. They can't benefit from it because they can't, they can't stand it. And they have to constantly give it away. This guy was rich. Talking like millionaire rich. Look him up on, on Wikipedia. I'm not going to do any more research and you know, give you the name or anything else. Go look it up on Wikipedia because I'm unprofessional and I get very little money for this podcast. <laughs> if I start making a lot of money, I'm going to start doing a lot of research, right? But uh, you get this podcast for free and I basically am doing it for free. So look it up. And of course, if you just find that something's wrong, feel free to correct me. I'm happy to, to issue corrections. Um, it's also part of the reason why I want everybody to look it up, right? If it turns out I'm a little wrong, correct me. I want to I get it correct. I also want people out there to learn more. This guy was rich, talking like millionaire rich. And he walked around in clothes and hats that were so old that you know just tattered terrible he'd wash them and he'd say look this is good i can keep it for a little bit more there are only two holes in it that's all right i can patch it up never really when he has the money to buy a patch to patch the clothes he'd go and he'd find somebody who needed help and he'd say you know what you could use this money more than i could i could always get the holes patched later some people laughed at him and mocked him right he would just roll with it but he was always invited to the high-end gatherings because the man was always doing good things for people. And some people, these high-end gatherings, invited him to mock him, you know, like a pig party. And other people at these high-end gatherings invited him because they actually genuinely respected him and they thought he was a good guy. And I can't remember the story. I can't remember if he was a really, really good friend, if Dickens was a really, really good friend with this man before he died or just started thinking of him more and more after he died. But uh, his friends did try to, you know, th this guy, he had a mansion, right? Essentially a mansion uh, downtown, wherever it was. But he refused to repair the mansion. He refused to spend any money on the mansion. People lend him money to repair the mansion or whatever. He would then turn around and help somebody save their home from a money lender. He'd say, I always get the money later. I've got a ton of money in the bank. And uh, he wound up dying because his house was drafty. He caught pneumonia and he was sleeping by the, uh, a hole in the wall just because he liked to listen to the sounds of the city. And people, his friends tried to get him out of that situation. His friends tried to fix the house. He, the guy threatened his friend, you know, his friends who tried to fix the house. He threatened him not to touch his property, right? Um, so this was a real dementia. 
And it hit him early in his life. And so even when they would bring him out and force him to live in a house that was nice and upkept and kept up and all that other stuff, he, he would leave the next day. So he wanted to go home. So it's, it's both a sad story and, you know, it, it's, it's I, don't, I don't know how to say it because I, I don't like any of the current words that somebody would use, like melancholy or, or Freud and Shada or whatever it is. I, I, don't, I don't like any of these words. Or heart touching. This guy genuinely had a problem. And this guy also genuinely did more for people than almost anybody with money. And Dickens knew that his friend's legacy was being tarnished. So he wrote the story to explain why a man would go into such depths of insanity, right? So people called him insane. This guy insane. You know, all sorts of names. So he created Scrooge. He created the idea of a man who was so evil that the only way for re path for redemption was to do a lot of really good things and to never be selfish in his life. That Because that was like the only story that these Victorians understood. There's people who actually knew who the real Ebenezer was. They knew it was nothing of the sort. They knew that he was a kind, generous man, generous to a fault, to a degree where it, his generosity got himself killed. Essentially by his own hand, by not taking care of himself. He essentially allowed himself to die, right? And uh, of course, uh, Dickens didn't want to identify his friend by name, right? But if you look it up, you'll find it. So he named him something different, Ebenezer Scrooge, right? Well, there are things in Scrooge that a lot of people today don't understand. They think, oh yes, Scrooge was a mean man because he forced Bob Cratchit to pay for the coal, right? He would dock Bob Cratchit's pay, right? That's what makes him totally evil. And then I get to the business section of Ebenezer being a businessman. A good man of business, right? And I can't tell you how many people I talk to who say, oh yeah, well, you know, he's hard on, on people who can't afford the bills. But you know, sometimes you have to be hard on people who can't afford the bills. I've heard that from so many people in my life that it just... It's like the, the, the entire concept of the story, the entire concept of the message, the entire concept of humanity is lost upon them. The entire concept of what is the definition of good business, making maximum profit, maximum amount of time. Like you're some, some uh, totally rad dude to the max from the 80s or 90s. You can't dial it up to 10. You got to dial it up to 12. Forget 11. It's got to be dialed up to 12 because it's more than two more than 10. You know, it, it's it, it, that's basically the joke here is the joke. It's the same joke from Spinal Tap. Do you know why it's funny that the dial 
that they say the dial goes up to 11 as opposed to other dials that go up to 10. It's, it's not because all speakers go up to 10 and for some reason they got, they got uh, uh, screwed over. It's not because like, they like uh, just wrote a number 11 and they said dial it up to 11 because it's, you know, whatever. Speakers can go up any number of things. I've seen speakers go up to 24, go up to, to uh, uh, you know, 100, go up to 12, go up to you know, 11. I've seen speakers of all kinds go up any number of numbers, right? The joke in that scene is Rob Reiner's asking... Oh, God, is it Harry Shearer? I forgot. Or is it Christopher Guest? Say Harry Shearer or Christopher Guest? Whoever it is in that scene. Sorry, I forgot. I'm unprofessional. Rob Reiner is asking the band, why is it important that it goes up to 11? The band says, because it's one more. Yeah. That's not the answer to the question. One more is not an answer to the question. Being a good man of business because he got the maximum profit is not an answer to the question. Why is it important to get the maximum? Is there better fidelity at 11 as opposed to 10? It's loud. Or... Why is it important to charge people maximum? It's money. Constant evictions, constant legal fees negate that monetary gain. At some point, you're breaking even where you would have been breaking even, where you would have been breaking even before if you had spoken to the guy whose wife went into the medical bills. Um, okay, well, here's the thing. I can move, you know, because what's his name had, could have said, okay, well, uh, I've got another property over here. Uh, your property is prime, but I'm not going to try and get you for it, you know. Um, but your wife does have medical expenses. I understand that. And uh, the property values are going up. However, we'll happily move you from one property to another. Instead of doing something like that or saying, would it help if I changed your billing to be two weeks into the month instead of the first of the month? Instead of saying things like that, Scrooge says, this or else, and I'm charging you a late fee. So let's say the people leave. Scrooge doesn't get any more money until new people move in. So where had Scrooge adjusted the deals, he would have actually made more money because he wouldn't have been out for that month or two months while he looked for another tenant. So he's paying, or rather losing money, possibly paying in taxes too. Uh, he's losing money for the period that there are no tenants inside that property. Where is the substantial gain? There is no substantial gain. There is no more. He's thinking short term and he's also not thinking about somebody whose wife is in the hospital. See, that's another thing. He didn't treat these people as actual individuals. So that's 
the first point that people miss. The second point that people miss is, um, well, I mean, we could go ahead and talk about the fire and Bob Cratchit. One coal on the stove, right? Coal is not that expensive. In fact, uh, what was it that I read? During that period, coal was actually in abundance due to all the child labor. And then just, just strip mining the countryside for coal. So Scrooge was reducing Bob Cratchit's he was reducing Bob Cratchit's um, efficiency by maintaining a sub-warm, substandard, uh, do, uh, you know, a uh, workplace. Bob Cratchit's freezing. His hands are locking up. The ink, uh, in fact, was it in? The, I think it's in the story that the ink wasn't flowing uh, properly. Like it was so cold that the ink was gooping. And that in and of itself was a problem. Now, somebody, some, somebody once pointed out, um, maybe, maybe uh, Scrooge wanted it to be so cold so the ink wouldn't run all over the paper. And no, nobody, nobody believed in that practice. Because you had something called like ink dust. I call it ink, du ink dust. You just put it down on the paper and... Uh, you know, you, I actually know some people put it down on the paper before they start writing. Uh, but, you know, you can put it down after they start writing. Uh, you know, after they stop writing uh, in order to make the ink, you know, the dust to soak up the ink. It's like little, it's like sawdust, right? It's wood dust. It's what it is. Soaks up the ink. There are also pat down pages. Uh, ink, it was not common for ink to run all over the page. Even if you got, now if you got like really, really shitty ink, you could actually add some sort of stabilizer to the ink, to the ink in order to make sure that it wasn't as runny and it was actually kind of thick in order to make the ink last a little bit longer. All sorts of things you can do with ink. So the argument of him wanting to make it cold enough so the ink didn't run, that's also bullshit. A lot of people go to extraordinary lengths to defend Scrooge and his poor business decisions because, well, he is rich, so he knows how to make money. Yeah, yeah he... Sort of, yeah. Sort of, no. Right? There are plenty of other businessmen who are just as rich as Scrooge who figured out how to make their money without being an asshole. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then finally... This is something that is covered in various ways. Scrooge in the stock market, where he'd sit on his bench. People would come to him, right? They would come to him to sell, and they'd come to him to buy. Scrooge never owned any, physically owned any warehouses, uh, nobody does who does commodities trading. You don't. What you basically have are people who actually own warehouses, who store goods. Their company is all about buying goods, receiving goods, storing them in the warehouse, and receiving money from investors 
And those investors will say, you keep the products here in this warehouse and we will, you will be paid this amount uh, per day. And, you know, then when, you know, we'll, we'll go ahead and we'll, uh, we'll you know, we'll sell the, the commodity to somebody else who will also pay your warehouse storage. And it's basically all just contracts being exchanged. So imagine that it's, it's one of the most mental or meta concepts of trading that exists. So like a warehouse, which is actually owned by a different company. It's not owned by Scrooge. Scrooge decides to buy all the stock in the warehouse because the warehouse says, yes, um, we buy and sell and trade oranges and we're getting a bunch of oranges in. And Scrooge says, I want some of that capital. So the commodities trading says, okay, well, uh, we purchased these oranges at this, this, and this. So essentially, you know, we can sell them for this, right? So Scrooge buys it all. They say, okay, essentially you own these commodities, right? And uh, when you stop paying rent in my warehouse, I'm going to put them out on the street. It's something like that. Uh, I know I'm simplifying it a lot. And in a lot of ways, some warehouses operate differently. Uh, you know, like the warehouse will be selling space, investment space. Person will buy, buy the investment space, kind of like a rental, rent a storage unit. And then uh, the person who buys that rental space might dictate what they want shipped there. But usually commodities... Trading is about commodities that already are inside a warehouse, usually, or a broker who basically just has a direct line to the to the farm, and that broker, acting like an agent, acting like a manager, turns around and says, I could have these shipped to you whenever the farm is currently storing them. So there are any number of ways and any number of portions on that commodities trading where Scrooge could be conducting his business. What it looks like is that Scrooge did not own any warehouses, but he bought stock and owned stock in these warehouse or these warehouse companies. They would say, okay, we've got a bunch of oranges. We're opening it up onto the market. Scrooge would say, okay, I'm buying this, this, and this, uh, and the, you know, and as an investment and they would say, okay. I'll just keep paying us our daily rental fee and uh, we'll keep them situated at this level. Then Scrooge goes over to, um, or doesn't do anything. He just lets people look to find out who owns these commodities. So they find out Scrooge does. They go to Scrooge to purchase the commodities from him. And Scrooge says, okay, well, this is how much I paid for him. This is how much you know, whatever rental fees, uh, you're going to have to pay me this. And then you could take them off my hands. You handle the deliver the, the delivery and, uh, and storage. In fact, a lot of times commodities, people just sell their ownership of the stock in the warehouse and the food never moves to the warehouse, right? It's just whoever owns the food, whoever has their stamp on the food that's sitting in the warehouse. And then the delivery trucks go to the warehouse and pick the food up and then deliver it. By the way, this is what trading places is all about. Okay? <laughs> Scrooge 
essentially cornered the market on all of the grain. Which means every warehouse in London that had grain, Scrooge purchased stock in. He didn't own the warehouses. He owned the commodity that they were storing. And when the men come to Scrooge and say, we, we looked around, you know, and, and the, it's, part, it's in the middle of their business transaction. And it appears at different parts of the story. And, and different. George C. Scott's, I think, is a little bit more clear and a little more simplified. But there's also this in Alistair Sims' version. And what basically happened is the first meeting that Scrooge has with these men isn't shown ever in any version that I can see. Because they have to show what happens during the second negotiation. So the first time those men appeared to Scrooge, Scrooge quoted them in price. And then the men said, your price is way too high. We'll find our grain elsewhere. And Scrooge says, indeed, try to find my grain elsewhere. And so they go all, all around London. Then they come back and they say, you dirty scoundrel, you purchased all the grain in London and you're holding on to it and refusing to release it for people who need to eat this holiday season. You're starving people on Christmas. And Scrooge says, so that's the nature of business. And they say, well, since we're forced to deal with you, we'll purchase your price, uh, your grain. And Scrooge says, I'm sorry, but my grain has gone up by 5%. He said, but you quoted this price yesterday. And Scrooge says, yes, because that was yesterday's price. 5% for today. And if you dally another, another day longer, another 5% on top of that. Now think about that for a minute. Scrooge likely is not paying that much. In fact, he's not paying anything. He doesn't own the warehouses. I mean, the warehouses are going to tabulate uh, uh, a rental fee, probably a daily rental fee that's a tenth or a hundredth of what Scrooge is quoting these people. And he already made, was it? I mean, he already made a, a you know, a, or a, I mean, what, what did he, he's probably made like a hundred percent off the grain to begin with. And then he's tacking on five more percent in interest. And he keeps tacking on five more percent in interest. Let's say these men never purchased the grain from him, and he wound up destroying all the grain. Yeah, he'd be out. But people need to eat, don't they? How long can someone starve without, you know, or how long can someone survive before giving, you know, without grain, before giving in? Think about everything that grain is involved in. Almost everything you bake involves some sort of grain product. If you're going to eat pork or beef or chicken, those things are going to have to eat grain. So even if you're not eating the grain, what you're eating is going to be eating, is going to be eating the grain. You know, the, the whole idea of the food pyramid with grain being the foundation 
it's it's often misrepresented in health in health economics. The actual food pyramid was uh, is about what you need to obtain the other things on top of the food pyramid, right? Grain and vegetables are the biggest thing because the animals or whatever, like almost everything comes from grain. You know, you got bread, you have to feed animals to have meat. Um, A lot of times grain is needed to replenish the soil in terms of uh, cycling vegetables out with other uh, things to grow. Uh, you know, it, there's a whole economy involved regarding grain. And here he is holding on to the grain as long as he possibly can, and jacking up the interest rate as much and as high as he can every day, laughing that nobody can get any grain because he essentially owns all the commodities. And yet he doesn't own a single warehouse. Scrooge's entire exchange is an exchange of gluttony, of greed, and maliciousness. And a lot of people don't get that because they don't understand how commodities work. People people will defend Scrooge saying, oh, he closed Fezziwig's shop because Fezziwig just wasn't a good businessman and allowed himself to be bought out by Scrooge. Scrooge cornered Fezziwig. In fact, it's in Alistair Sims, and it's also one of the, I think it's, I think it's in one of Dickens' um, notation or trans, uh, transcriptions. Because you know Dickens actually changed the story several times. Um, the one we get is like the official version, but people, you know, reporters have transcribed his plays before while he was given speaking performances and. The, Dickens changed everything. <laughs> like Belle, or Scrooge's fiancée, uh, she has had like five different careers. Um, you know, depending on where he was, he would play to the audience. So you'd change who Belle was and what she did with her time. She was always an untouchable saint. Because Dickens didn't want anybody blaming the woman for Scrooge's failings, right? A lot of people don't realize that. That's, that's what he did. So whichever bell is the most untouchable saint to you, that's the bell that Dickens would tell you. That's the real bell. Right? So, uh, Fezziwig was actually cornered out of the market due to insider trading and espionage. And it was mostly organized by Marley. Marley was the one who took all the names and contacted all of Fezziwig's um, all of Fezziwig's, uh, you know, um, customers and essentially forced Fezziwig off the board of his own company while, um, Scrooge and Marley, I think it was Scrooge bought stock in Fezziwig's and Marley, uh, gained the confidence of Fezziwig's, um, uh, of, of Fezziwig's, uh, debtors or, you know, customers. So, they did it by underselling Fezziwig. And when Fezziwig was in a tight spot, Scrooge would offer to purchase a portion of the company. 
Then when Fezziwig had no had no uh, clients and lost uh, majority ownership in the company, Scrooge and Marley proceeded to vote Fezziwig out and ran him out of his own store. It's one of the most vicious things. And this is a man, Fezziwig, who reached out to the kindness, with kindness, to mentor Scrooge and Marley to show him all the ins and outs while Fezziwig would use them for the benefit of his clients, Marley and Scrooge would use them for the benefit of themselves. And the final betrayal was taking that kindness from Fezziwig and turning it into an instrument of abuse. Scrooge and Marley's, right? And Scrooge, and Scrooge even kept Marley's name on this sign. And oftentimes it's said that it's because he was too cheap to take Marley's name off the sign, but that wasn't really it. It's because that was the hell that Scrooge and Marley had forged for themselves. That was their own spot in hell, basically. And Scrooge, it, it, to leave Marley behind would mean that he would have to leave the practices that he honed with Marley behind, and he'd have to have a change. So what happens? The ghosts basically show him all the things and all the kindness that Scrooge ever had in his life, as well as the hardships. And they said, well, you took these hardships to run people who were kind to you into the ground. Your father was an asshole. Yes, we all agree. Your sister, though, don't you talk about my sister. She was a saint. Yeah. She tried to do everything she could to help you out. Yes, and then she gave birth to... My nephew, yeah, and I blame him for her death. Whoa, whoa, why? They're never really specific about that. It could have been in childbirth, or it could have just been she was weakened after, or felt weakened after the giving birth, and maybe she died later on, or who knows. A lot of people assume it was childbirth, but uh, there's a story where she actually survived a couple of years, or or a while after. So uh, who knows? The whole point is, you know, Scrooge is constantly exposed to all these things. You know, he, he looks at the hovel that the Cratchits lived in, live in and say, see, he's doing fine on the money I pay him. Without realizing that a home is more than the house that you live in. It's making sure that everybody is healthy and, and taking, being taken care of. Right? That's the whole thing there. And... The death that Scrooge has shown is the death that he uh, is destined for if he doesn't change his ways within the next year. So if I remember correctly, a ghost of Christmas future, or a spirit of Christmas future, sorry, uh, is literally the next year. It's not um, like 10 years down the road. Uh, so he dies, Tiny Tim dies. And all that stuff, you know, uh, you have no idea what's going to happen with the Gratchet family. And uh, so that's that's the like the story of Ebenezer Scrooge, right? People don't seem to get it. A lot of people don't. A lot of people do. 
And that's because a lot of people don't pay attention to business. And more and more and more, I'm finding people my age and younger don't understand anything about business. They resort to bullying tactics. They don't bother reading the law. They don't bother dealing with things. I can't tell you how many times I've had to go after somebody with a legal yardstick to beat them down. I've had artists who have worked for me who should, who I should have just gone after prosecution for them. For theft, among other things. For fraud. I mean, it's serious employment fraud here. I'm not talking about, oh, they didn't give me a caricature. I paid $20 for it. I'm, t I'm talking about lots of money here. Or lots of money to me. Um, $2,000 here. $5,000 there. Um, that was, that was like 15 years ago. It was my own money, you know? And the thing is, I did wind up eventually getting what I paid for. I did wind up eventually getting what I paid for. $5,000, I did wind up eventually getting, uh, well, half of what I paid for. Uh, it was still cheap compared to the normal price. So I, I did get, uh, I did get a lot from it. Um, I mean, any project's going to have some financial pitfalls, right? <sighs> I mean, it sucked. But, you know, I... Uh, artist who tried to run away with money, something like $1,200 worth, I wound up getting what I paid for. Um, programmer, I wound up getting my money back. You know, poor, poor translation, etc. Things like that. And a lot of people do it because they say, well, you can't sue us because it'll cost too much. And that's another fact. That is usually true. You can't sue everybody because the lawsuit would require district court, and that requires an attorney. You can't walk in to district court without an attorney. I think you, uh, you might be able to sign a waiver, but the defendant has to obtain an attorney themselves, and it's, it's almost impossible to self-represent uh, because then you also have motions to... Uh, you know, to uh, appeal based off of poor representation for either party. And it's absolutely ridiculous. And lawyers are getting more and more expensive as time goes on. So a lot of these things, which should be classified as fraud, are no longer classified as fraud. And so a lot of people have this little Ebenezer inside of them, and they say, well, if I can't be caught, they, or I could cause them more trouble than they can cause me, then, ha, 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 I'm going to get a big payday. It's even getting to a point where $40,000 is no longer considered enough to get an attorney to pursue somebody for blatant fraud or representation in a lot of different avenues because various states don't attach uh, a penalty fee for legal fees on the loser. And that prevents people from getting 
an, uh, an attorney for contingency because there is no contingency. Especially when attorneys are, ca- are charging 120000 on average to go to court. Some do it for a little bit less, but not too much. And so that's when you have these people who think, I'm a good businessman because I know how to cheat. And it's, that's the real trickle-down economic that's going on. That's what happened in 2008. We're hedge fund people. We're real businessmen. We know how to cheat. We're going to defraud people for under $40,000 each person, which prevents them from individually taking us to court. And if we do it to enough people, we're going to make a huge payday. Then the housing market collapses. And you have a federal emergency and everybody is paying for this level of greed. So that's the real story of Ebenezer Scrooge. That's the, the real focus. That's, those are the things that are terrible about Scrooge. Have you, have you thought in the same lines as Scrooge? Now I'm not saying it's not, it's not, bad for a person to want to make a profit. I mean, it's, you know, profit margins for retail price should be 20% wholesale, 40%, uh, or 20%, to, uh, 15 to 25% materials fees. Um, then, you know, 15 to, uh, 40% in wholesale and then storefront is the remainder and storefront could be anywhere from from uh, 30% you know retail price suggested retail price it's a storefront 30% to 60% so I gave a lot of numbers where if you count them all up at maximum value it would probably reach around uh, 200% and believe it or not those calculations fluctuate depending on the type of storefront, the type of sales going on, the type of wholesales, but you always need to have, uh, like I think the, you know, when I, when I was selling my own products, I know that you had to have a goal of if you purchased 15% in materials, you had to be charging at least uh, 35% wholesale. So if you wanted to have a sale, you could reduce it down to, you know, 30% wholesale, right? And if you had a sale on your wholesale goods, you could reduce it that far and sell it to the storefront and say, okay, you get a profit margin of, uh, 70%. There's no returns on it. You can, you can put it on sale whenever you like. That's the type of, of business deal. You know, of course, it's always nice to be the storefront too. And on and on and on. That's being a good man of business, right? Like knowing, knowing the ratios. Uh, now, is Scrooge right for purchasing a monopoly on all the commodities for wheat? You know, for grain? Well, I mean... 
I don't believe that monopoly ownership should ever be permitted. Uh, let's say that somebody purchased all the wheat and grain and is selling them at an extremely low discounted price, which happens during times of great famine or, or uh, you know, you have an altruistic uh, group of people get involved and say, we're going to put this all in here. Now we do have to make some profit in order to, so we buy, buy all this grain for, let's say we buy all this grain for $3 million and we're going to resell the grain at a price of $4 million. $4.5 million, that way we can cover for the overhead and make a little bit more than what we put in, but uh, uh, we're making sure everything is brought over, we're making sure the warehousing is proper, and, well, people can get their grain, right? But more often than not, people who purchase uh, market dominance say, we're going to buy this grain for $3 million, and then we're going to sell it for $10 million. During a famine, we'll increase the price by 5%. That's, that's basically kind of like what Scrooge was really doing. And no, that's not, that's not okay. Now, somewhere in, the, in between, uh, 3 million and selling it for 6 million because it's probably going to be 2 million in overhead that we deal with. Uh, but we get that and we get some back. That's, that's probably, I mean, that, that's not, I don't really see a problem with that because you're selling wholesale to a distributor and you're going to get that amount. But that's basically, you know, when you're preying on people's survival, you're preying on their lives and you're banking on them dying as a motivator. That's inherently intrinsically evil. And there, there's no amount uh, well, that's how the market is that justifies it, as far as I'm concerned. And I will never believe that it's justified. And that's the message of the story of Scrooge. And if you think that it's justified, then yes, Dickens was calling you a bad person. And so am I. But I don't think anybody who listens to my podcast, I don't think anybody who listens to my podcast at all, believes contrary to what I have said here. You know, I really don't. Because everybody knows that there is value in and a necessity for money and for training. And we all understand wholesale is not the same as product you know product distribution and point of sale targets for customers because there's a lot that happens from one end to the other a lot that has to happen and if you bought directly from an individual they usually have to up their price because there's no guarantee that person to person sale will continue right farms can't really survive on direct person-to-person -person contact and function on large scales. They have to have a medium through which large quantities, warehousing and shipping, have to be accounted for. So yes, there is always going to be like a ladder effect. But it has to be, a you know, it's a ladder effect that, when done improperly, causes major inflation, gives super rich 
the super the money that calls them super, where they can call themselves super rich, and literally make, forces people into death through poverty and lack of access to what they need to survive. And that's part of why Dickens didn't vilify business in its entirety. Dickens vilified how Scrooge approached business without humanity involved. Humanity depends on business functioning. But you, you take away the humanity and then you're just... You know, you don't care about anything. I mean, Bell makes that argument in every single thing, in every single um, word that she says. You know, Marley tells Scrooge, mankind's my business. Not business, not money. What do you have after you're dead? Well, if you're an atheist, you say, nothing, you're dead. Okay. What do you have when you're alive after the business deal is ended? Your own self-worth and the worth that other people place upon you. Your position in society. That's what you have. And people have memories of how you behaved when you're gone. So... The next question is, does Scrooge, is Scrooge saved at the end? It is everything in his power to undo all the evil he has done. And you get at some point that it's not answered. It's, you know, it's highly suggested that he even made a change, but he's never given an answer. What happens is, He's worried about himself, and then he's worried about Tiny Tim, and then he's worried about the people, and he's worried about all the things about mankind that he didn't bother himself with. And that's the real message right there. And of course, if you, you know, because it is a, essentially a, both a religious and a not religious story. You can look at the morality of religion in a context of there no other religion would have been, pro, pardon me, prominent in Victorian England during that time. No other religion. So we're going to deal with that specific religion. Um... Or you can look at it as he found Jesus, right? Which is at the end of uh, Seymour Hicks's. You know, the, the black and white version, not the colorized version. He actually cut it out of the colorized version. Black and white version, he goes to make a, a connection with Bob Cratchit by going with Bob Cratchit to morning mass. And you see Scrooge singing in morning mass. People stare at him oddly. Like, what are you doing here? And Scrooge just comes in and he starts singing um, hymns, right? With Bob Cratchit at his side. A man that he did not consider to be his equal until that day. Because in that day, they were all humans and they were all equal. So, 
That's also a religious statement. If you're religious, if you're not religious, it's a moral statement. You know, the funny thing is, is uh, some of the best Christmas movies aren't even aren't, aren't about the religion. They're just about a message of morality. Right? Doesn't matter if Jesus is real or Jesus is fake. The message of morality is all of mankind. Doesn't matter if if he was tormented by dementia or if he was visited by actual spirits and a, and a couple of ghosts. A you know, ghost of Christmas past, Marley's ghost, and the spirit of Christmas future and Christmas present, right? Doesn't matter if it's true or not, he changed his ways. It doesn't matter if he goes to hell or if he doesn't, he made sure that everybody else had a place to live and, and, and Tiny, Tim, Tiny Tim got the nutrition and medical attention that he deserved. And he became as good of a master and a good of a brother and good of a human being and, you know, as a second father to Tiny Tim. Uh, in other words, he, everything from that point on, he did for the sake of goodness. And a good of a master, that means that, you know, it, he was a, the master of the, of, of the landlords, of the commodities, and also of Tiny Tim and, and Bob Cratchit. He was the, you know, the term master was... More or less a title, right? Of course, now often we think of master as slave owner and what whatnot. But I mean, in a, in a sense, Scrooge was. But he became as good of, of of one as any who had ever existed or ever would exist. That means when people needed help, a little leeway. Yeah, okay, I'll give you a little leeway. Don't worry about it. We'll make sure that your family has a warm place to stay. That's the message. We don't know how long Scrooge lived beyond that. We don't know anything else. Because it focused on the message. Not, not the man, the message. And it also focused on people who mocked Charles Dickens's friend. Say, don't mock people like this. You don't know where they've been. Maybe it was ghosts. Maybe they were evil. Now they're good. Or maybe you're the asshole all along. And that's where I'm going to end it. So uh, for all of you out there who do business, think about what you're doing. Think about your fellow man. Think about everything else. There are a lot of things that you can do that don't cost a dime. There are a lot of things that people can do that don't cost a dime. And people don't do them. So uh, I'm pretty sure people who listen to my podcast are, are giving. I know my, I know uh, th- all of my friends are very giving, regardless of the political affiliation. And I know right now I owe two of my friends quite a bit. So uh, as you know, guys, I'm not talking about you. <laughs> Love you all. Take care. Have a wonderful day. Bye.